I love the book of Hebrews, and I love coming to share the book of Hebrews with you. But we must remember that first and foremost, our times in worship here is for God, not for us. And that what we do here in worship ought to be an offering back to God uh, in praise to Him. And I, I am completely confident that God will speak to us through His Word this morning. But I hope and pray that our response will be praise back to Him. Please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 4. And when you find that, please stand with me if you are able. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Talking about God's rest today. Hebrews 4 and verse 1. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David after so long a time, just as had been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would have not spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us this revelation of yourself. And we pray, Lord, you'd open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in it today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And please be seated. Rest is something uh, most of us are deprived of. It's a luxury that eludes us. Even when we carve out time for rest, we can't because our minds are so full of other things. Moms of young children, probably due to sleep deprivation, have forgotten what rest even is. We don't live restful lives. I'll be here the first to tell you that I did not live a restful life this week. It was anything but. Most of us are suffering from what you would call frantic family syndrome. It has reached epidemic proportions. We live such busy lives, such hectic lives, that we lose the relational connectedness to our family, to our friends, and even to God. It doesn't matter what age you are. You can be in high school, college, or retired. It's the same. We live two busy lifestyles and we don't experience rest. So busy that our souls can't rest. I heard a story a few years ago about these 
tribesmen who were guides in the jungle for these explorers. And the explorers pushed them hard for 10 hours straight on foot, walking, hiking, trekking. And all of a sudden they stopped. They refused to go another step. And the explorers were agitated and asked the translator, why did they stop? Why won't they go? And the translator responded, they're worn out. They're waiting for their souls to catch up to their bodies. When we come to a passage of scripture talking about rest, it almost seems too good to be true, doesn't it? it almost, it's, it's, it's easy to think, yeah, someday. Right now, I'm too busy. The kind of rest that God is speaking about is a kind that we don't know a lot about. It's a Sabbath rest. It's the rest that God instituted after his work of creation. He wanted his people to follow the same pattern. He wanted them to work for six days and then to take a Sabbath of complete rest, to do no work at all. Now, this passage of Scripture contains some challenging words that makes it somewhat difficult to discern just what the writer is getting at. And it is helpful to remember that this is part of an exposition of Psalm 95, like we saw last week. In fact, the first part is what we saw last week in chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, this idea of a warning against a hardened heart. Now, today we see part 2, which is in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and it's the subject of entering into God's rest. Now, what I want to do is look at several aspects of God's rest today and Hopefully this will help us understand the meaning and also the message for us this day. So first I want us to discover and to to think about the nature of rest. What is it? What does it mean? Uh, The Greek word for rest is used nine times in this passage. Rest is the absence of strife. It's calm versus a storm. It's the opposite of unrest. Now, God says, it's my rest. In verse 3 and verse 5, he says, they shall not enter my rest. This is something God promises to his followers. This is something God gives to us. It's something he gives as a gift. Now, in verse 9, look there for a moment. A different Greek word is introduced. Sabbatismos, it means Sabbath rest. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. And it's, it's looking back and basically it's describing what the rest is that's been talked about already. But what is this Sabbath rest for the people of God? What is this rest that, that God has set aside for us? There are several options that have been suggested. And I guess what we'll do now is take a little bit of a, uh, a multiple choice quiz. All right? Now, some think it means, A, worshiping God, keeping the Sabbath, literally keeping the Sabbath, uh, ceasing from work so as to focus wholeheartedly on God Almighty. Uh, Now, worship, we know, ought to permeate all of our life. It isn't just a, a service we come to, even though these services are the high point in the week for us as a body of believers. But worship should permeate all of life, and so this idea would say that as we worship God, we please him, we experience his blessing. But the thing about that option is it doesn't, it's not specific enough. It doesn't bring in the, uh, the, 
the specificity that is really talked about in this passage. So it's a bit too general. So you've got B, option B. Others think it means conversion, coming to faith in Christ, uh, the new birth, being born again. It looks to the past, to something God did. And so the Sabbath rest in this sense would, and is often understood to mean salvation, okay, coming to Christ. When we rest from our works of trying to save ourselves and rest in Christ's finished work on the cross. That's the idea there. Now, there's another option, option C. And if you are used to taking multiple choice quizzes, you know, if, you're, if you don't know, just pick C. Um, C is the idea of surrender to God. The idea, really, of sanctification. As, as you come to know Christ, then through your life as a believer, you are surrendering, yielding to God. And this view looks really to the present, uh, this word today that's in the passage. Now, this view sees entering God's rest as yielding to God's work as he conforms us to the image of Christ. It's cooperating with God as he forms us into Christ's image. But what it doesn't account for is our future hope in Christ. That's why we have an option D. Now, D would be heaven. Glorification. It's looking to the future. It's... it's, Someday, forever. It points to our final deliverance from sin, from death, from suffering. It points to our future hope in Christ. When we die in the Lord, we rest from all of our works. Now look at verse 8. We're kind of going backwards through the passage, I think you've noticed already. Uh, Verse 8 says, If Joshua had given them rest then he would not have spoken of another day. God would not have spoken of another day after that. When Psalm 95 was written, Israel had already entered the land under Joshua years before. It was proof that the land of Canaan did not fulfill God's ultimate promise of rest. And Joshua and Moses set their sights on a better country. They had a, a heavenly hope. Not just a hope for the land that God had promised to them. Now, this is the prevalent view among most commentators. This idea of uh, the Sabbath rest for the people of God being heaven. But there's one more option I want us to consider today. And that's one that includes A, B, C, and D. So those of you that like the all of the above, this is all of the above. This is the, the option that says the Sabbath rest signifies eternal life in all its fullness. It's the whole enchilada, okay? It starts with a new birth, salvation, conversion. It moves on to uh, sanctification, God at work in us, us abiding in Christ, and then on to glorification in heaven, our heavenly hope. What you've got here is It includes everything it means to know God. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, in verse 3, prayed this. He said, this is eternal life. Ah, listen, there's a definition coming. This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. 
And Jesus then said that eternal life is knowing God. And you can't know God apart from Jesus, apart from Jesus Christ. We learned that back in Hebrews 1.1. God in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. So, this view basically says at salvation we enter God's rest. Now, I can't point to a day in time when I became a Christian. I don't know that day. I know it was in 1982. But when we come to faith in Christ, we enter God's rest. We rest from our works. We don't try to save ourselves anymore. Now, it starts there. And we get this foretaste of our heavenly hope, though we don't experience the full, the full weight of it yet. It starts with salvation. It continues on through sanctification and abiding in Christ and God conforming us to the image of Christ. God at work in us. And then it moves on to glory, to our hope in heaven, to being with Jesus in heaven. You know, Paul talked about that. I, you know, I like it here, but I'd rather be there. I want to go to be with Jesus. This view encompasses the past, the present, and the future. The rest that God gives to his people. As Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as we read in Hebrews 13.8, so with this view, our rest in him, which starts at conversion, lasts forever. Look at verse 3. Believers enter God's rest. It says, we who have believed enter that rest. Just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they, those who did not believe, will not enter my rest. Believers were chosen from the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 tells us that. But the unbeliever does not enter. The believer enters. God's works were finished before the world began. In verse 9, where it says there therefore remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, according to this view, God gave to his people a spiritual Sabbath rest that was basically instituted or inaugurated when Jesus died on the cross and rose from from the grave. Verse 10 tells us that the one who has entered God's rest has... Rested from his own works, just like God did with his on the seventh day, as Genesis 2 2 tells us. We cease from working for, from working for our salvation, from trying to justify ourselves, from all the things we try to do to make us right with God that don't work. Now, what happens is we cease from working for our salvation. But then what we do is we somehow forget and then we start trying to work for our sanctification. And we've got to be continually reminded this is God's work, not ours. We don't get saved at a point in time and then God says, see you in heaven. You're on your own. No, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He takes us from start to finish. Now, obviously, there is some human uh, cooperation that needs to take place. That's why this rest is not, there's not just one verse here that says, bam, you got the rest, you're all set. No, there's this, let's be diligent to enter it. 
Let's fear so that we don't miss it. Entering God's rest means no longer needing to work. The idea here isn't that there's no longer any place for good works. We know from Ephesians 2.10 that God saved us for the purpose of good works. That we're saved through faith by grace, not our own works. But God prepared beforehand that we should walk in good works. The fruit of God working in our life is good. But the idea here is there's no place for works as the basis for our righteousness, for our standing with God. It's the idea that God rested from his work on that original Sabbath day, as we see in Genesis 2-2. The work was finished, and then we cease from self-justifying works. We experience the rest that God offers, not just in heaven, but even now. Now, whichever one of these views you hold to, A, B, C, D, or E, whether you think it's worshiping God or conversion or sanctification or heaven or or all of it, God's rest is promised to believers. And we are instructed in this passage to make sure that we're entering into it. So what I want to talk about next is the challenge to rest. What keeps us, or what can keep us from entering this rest and experiencing the rest? The first thing is disobedience. Verse 6, we read, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them, failed to enter. Why? Because of disobedience. Some will enter, some won't, and it will be due to disobedience. And verse 11 seems to indicate that this rest is available to enter right now, today. And so does verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And we live in a day called today, right here, right now. So we must listen to these warnings, must listen to these promises. David speaks of a day when we should respond to God. God has graciously offered And there are even warnings for those who refuse, especially those who refuse God's specific word in Christ. So disobedience is one. The other is unbelief. Unbelief. Look at verse 2. For indeed we have had good news preached to us just as they, but the word they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it wasn't mixed with faith. It wasn't united by faith in those who heard. And then in verse 7. Don't harden your hearts. There's this unbelief that often happens. For unbelievers, not entering by faith disqualifies you. For believers, there's an application here, though. The application would not be experiencing the rest that we positionally have, that we possess. It's seen in a couple of things, the idea of unbelief. Not believing God's promises. Not believing that what God said he will bring about. Do you believe that God still does miracles today? That he is still a miracle working God. And that he can do a miracle right this very moment. And that he actually has since we've been in this room and we haven't noticed. Do you believe that God is who he says he is and he does what he says he does? Unbelief attacks the people of God. 
Do you believe that God is sufficient? That God Almighty is sufficient for your every need? That Jesus Christ is our adequacy, that he is our sufficiency? Or do you need to add something else in? Does something else need to be there for you to feel secure? It's hard-heartedness. There's another thing, and it's probably the thing that is the most prevalent for us, distractions. I mean, right now, in this room, this very room, there are distracted people. Sometimes I even get distracted while I'm up here. And not by you. Sometimes there's things that are just going on in my mind, and I go, okay, later, think about that later. Task at hand. Distractions. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Therefore let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you might seem to have come short of it. Verse 2. Good news has been preached, but it did not profit. It wasn't united by faith. There was this distraction in the way. Spiritual distractions actually are often good things. Think of Joshua leading the people into the promised land. A good thing that keep us from the best things. Obedience, trust, rest. Or how about when we try to find our fulfillment in earthly things? We don't usually go out looking for that. But it happens. Fleshly things that don't profit. We become restless due to distractions. Some of you have restless leg syndrome, right? Legs always moving. Some of us have restless soul syndrome. We cannot rest. Colossians chapter 3. Let's go there real quick. Colossians 3. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, or since... This is speaking to believers. Since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Why do you think that's there? Why do you think those two verses are there? Because there are so many distractions. The Colossians were distracted people. They had to be reminded Set your mind on things above, not on the things on earth. And I need that reminder every day. Why? Because there's so many things that distract me. Take money, for example. A lot of you are worrying about retirement accounts and if you have enough saved up for the future. Some of you are nearing that age and so you're really worried about it. Take this, very, this last week. How many of you looked at every day at your 401k to see how much money you lost? I was talking to a guy this week. He was bemoaning that he lost so many thousands of dollars. And I'm no financial counselor, but I said, don't even look at it. It's your retirement account. It's long term. Think about it. We talk long term. Hey, we're terminal. (laughs) But think about that. It's easy to be distracted by temporary things. That's why we need to recognize in this passage the encouragement to rest. 
And what we see here, and you're not going to want to see the first one, but it's a negative incentive and a positive incentive. I always want to look for the positive. I'm reading through the Bible, and it's like, give me all the verses that comfort me. But look at verse 1. you got a negative uh, incentive to rest. Therefore, let us fear. Let us fear. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word is phobeo. It's where we get our word phobia. It means to be frightened. It means to be terrified. The NIV does not do this verse justice. They translated it, uh, take care. I'm sorry, but that's weak. Take care. We say that all the time. No? Take care. It's like, don't, you know, take, be careful out there. But the idea here is being so afraid that you are filled with anxiety about not entering. The meaning means to be frightened, to fear. It doesn't mean something else. It's pretty much a face value word. But here's the thing about it. Healthy fear ought to motivate us. Healthy fear. What it means is to have a deep reverence for God. To have a deep respect for God that's evidenced in self-examination. What are we to fear? We're to fear falling behind. Verse 1, where it says that any of you should come short of it, picture someone who is marching with a group and, and falls behind, can't keep up. They're going faster, and they can't keep up, and so they fall behind. Spiritually, it means not being able to do what you were meant to do. Not being able to fulfill your calling. Coming up short. Look at Hebrews 12.15. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Coming short of God's grace is a tragedy, isn't it? Roots of bitterness springing up mess up the church, mess up families, mess up our lives. It says that we're not to fall behind, we're not to come short of this rest, and one of the things that can cause us to do so is bitterness towards other people. You may have walked in here today bitter towards someone. You've got to let it go. You actually have got to take that weed and pull it up and take it out by its roots. Or else you're going to get messed up and you're going to mess up the church too. There's another thing that we should fear and it's forfeiting the benefit. Forfeiting the benefit of the rest. Look at verse 2. Indeed, we have had good news preached just as they also, but the word they heard didn't profit them. They did not receive full benefit of the word that they heard. Why? Because it wasn't mixed with faith in those who, who heard. They forfeited the benefit. It doesn't profit you. It's like having something that is designed to do one thing and using it for like 5% of its capabilities. It's like the way I use my cell phone. I've got this cell phone that is a PDA. It'll do email, internet, phone, Excel, PowerPoint, spreadsheets, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't do the dishes. Now, that would be a good invention. Um, but, it, plus it would get wet and it would, it would be ruined. But the thing is, is that... Thanks, Mike. 
The thing is, the train just went off the tracks. <laughs> it's not you. It's me, though. It's, it's, it's really, it's me. It's me. Um, so there. <laughs> there you go. It's like having a motorhome that costs $400,000. And here's what you use it for. You park it in your front yard and you use it for a satellite dish. Okay? Got a $400,000 satellite dish. Spiritually, unbelief and disobedience mess us up. Big time. Um, I'll tell you what. The word preached has to be mixed together with faith. Think back to Israel. The deliverance they experienced. It didn't, it didn't help them so much because it wasn't mixed with faith. It's got to be mixed with faith. Just knowing the message is not enough. We must believe it. What does Romans 10 tell us? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. God's rest had been available to his people since his work of creation was finished. But it's going to be forfeited by disobedience. There's one last one, and it's kind of the the whole thing here, failing to enter, that we need to fear failing to enter. Look at verse 6. It remains for some to enter it. But those who had good news preached to them formerly failed to enter because of disobedience. Going back to Hebrews 3.19, they were not able to enter because of unbelief. The idea of not entering ought to shake us from complacency. Have you ever not been given entrance somewhere because you didn't have a ticket or because you weren't dressed properly? Spiritually, again, unbelief and disobedience just mess us up. God's judgment actually inspires healthy fear. Not the fear of man, not doing things to please people so people will like us or that we'll you know, rise up to their expectation level. But the fear of God. Proverbs tells us the fear of man brings a snare. It's slavery. But Proverbs 2 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom. We are to have this reverential fear of God and examine our spiritual life, making sure, making sure we're in the faith. I said it last week, just because we say we are doesn't make it true. It would be easy if if it was that way. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If there's any doubt in your mind about where you stand with God, make sure today. Look again at, you know, for the last two weeks we've had this, this, these passages that keep repeating this today word. Right now. Today. Make sure. Now positively, what does it take to enter into the rest? There's an interesting word. Look at verse 11. Diligence. Diligence. It says, 
Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Diligence literally means to be in a hurry. Doesn't sound like rest, does it? I think there's an interesting contrast here. To concentrate your attention on reaching a goal. Spiritually, it's making sure where you stand, and it's a command. Hebrews continues to repeat, let us. And it's not a suggestion, it is actually a command. The rest is available, but God doesn't force it upon us. We must enter that rest, and it's entered by faith, but it's diligent faith. True faith is not passive. True faith acts. It takes diligence to trust in Jesus and his work on the cross for us. Humanly speaking. Look at 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. In the context of being ambassadors for Christ, in the context of Christ becoming sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 6 says, and working together with him. There's that cooperation with God. Working together with him, we urge you also, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Look at verse 3, though giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. And again, we wish it, it, it would just be so easy. This has to happen. This rest happens in the midst of messy life, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of estrangement, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of life, says, commending ourselves in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distress, in beatings, in imprisonment, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, and so on and so forth. See, we're living in the world. Therefore, we are living in enemy territory. It takes diligence. There are influences pulling at us from all sides. And there is also that temptation to kind of just take the middle ground, take the road of least resistance. And I think that's why 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6 says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Make sure you don't fail the test. How many times have we read that? Test yourselves to make sure. We need to ask ourselves a question as we uh, look at this passage. And the question is, am I experiencing God's rest? I've been asking myself all week, and it's no, 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 no. What, what Charlie uh, shared this morning from uh, Psalm 62 was exactly what my soul needed as we came into worship this morning. Because I will tell you, as I came in this morning, my soul was not at rest. Nervousness over lots of things. Nervousness about coming up here and preaching. As much as I love it, I get all really nervous. Um, nervousness about other things in life. Health issues and other things. And my soul was not at rest. I was yearning for it, but it wasn't happening. 
And then the words of Psalm 62 settled in. And God spoke to my heart. Um, We've got to ask ourselves, am I, am I experiencing the rest? And if not, why not? Have I fallen prey to one of these challenges to rest? Either disobedience or unbelief or even just distractions. Have I ignored either the negative or the positive uh, incentives or encouragements to rest? Have I fallen behind? Have I forfeited the benefit? Have I been diligent? Am I being diligent? And if you answered yes to any of these, any of these then you're going to say, what do I do? And I'll take you right back to Psalm 62. Go there with me for just a minute. I would say we have all got to cease striving. We have got to stop trying to justify ourselves and rest completely in the Lord. But I will tell you what, in 25 years of being a believer, you didn't, I didn't just flip a switch one day and enter the rest and never experience unrest again. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had an unrestful soul this morning. We've got to be daily diligent and trusting. Psalm 62, verse 1. My soul, literally, here's how the Hebrew reads, my soul in silence for God. For God alone. Verse 5. My soul wait in silence for God only. Rest. Find your rest in Christ alone. But guess what? Don't forget verses 3 and 4. You see it's mixed in the midst of unrest. David is crying out to God alone in the midst of treacherous circumstances. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him? All of you. Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence, they've counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood, they bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. David was going through tough times, being cursed, being attacked. And he says, my soul, almost like a little child resting in their mama's arms after they've been fed. My soul is waiting, is resting in God alone. And he wasn't up on a mountaintop with no one else around. He was in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the pain. If you're not a believer, I would still say, sit in silence before God. Wait until an answer comes. Come to Jesus. That's the only place you're going to find the answers. And for the majority here who are believers in Christ, I would say, come to Jesus. Over and over again. Quit trying to justify yourself. Quit trying to work for your own sanctification. We know that doesn't work. We can't do the Christian life on our own. God started it. He will bring it to completion. We are to work with him, not against him. We are to cooperate with him as he leads us and guides us. But we ought to let our souls find rest in him alone. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Come to me. You know the verses. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am, what? Gentle and humble in heart. And what? You shall find rest for your souls. And then he says, My yoke is easy, but my burden is light. 
But you see, there's two things that are in opposition with one another there. Burden and rest. And many of us have brought burdens and we're carrying them around every day. And that burden crushes us. That burden breaks our back. That burden ought to be laid at the feet of Jesus. You can do that right now. Lay it down at Jesus' feet. Lay the burden down. God's rest is released from the burden. It is not something we accomplish. It's something God accomplishes for us when we cease trying so hard. One final thought. Look at verse 1. Go back to Hebrews and 4, verse 1. There is a promise spoken. A promise remains of entering God's rest. It's the first time in the book of Hebrews the word promise is used. If God's Sabbath rest is for us, truly from salvation onward to heaven, that ought to be for us great incentive to have an eternal perspective. God is calling us to enter into an eternal mindset today. We have his assurance his rest is available right now. Right now. And why the example of Joshua? Why if Joshua had given them rest? To show that God's rest did not come through Joshua, but through one greater, Jesus. You see, Joshua was the Jesus of the Old Testament. Similar name, Greek and Hebrew, same name, similar work. Joshua led them into the promised land. Jesus spiritually leads us to that spiritual rest, that better country. Jesus is our rest now and in the future. And when we're resting in Jesus, we stop striving, and the things we're worried about don't matter so much. Pride issues, who's greater than us? Who's more popular? Who's chosen above us? It won't matter. Hypocrisy fades away. Putting our best foot forward all the time. Hiding from others who we really are. That's going to be done away with. If we are resting in Jesus, our worth comes from him, not what everybody else says about us. We'll cease to care what everyone else thinks. And we will truly be ourselves in the presence of God and one another. We'll be able to wait for that day, as A.W. Tozier says, that everything will have its own price tag and real worth will come into its own. That's the promise of God's rest. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we want to lay our burdens down at your feet. Lord, we want to experience your rest. We lay our burdens of job and health and family and future and all that stuff, and we trust them to you. We entrust them to you, Lord Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that you bring a word at the right time to our hearts. Thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your rest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me. Uh, you know, we need to, uh, to pray for and with each other a lot. We need that. Helps to remind us of the rest that God gives. And after the service, I'm going to be up here. Pastor Ed's going to be up here. 
Maybe a few of the elders will too. If anybody needs prayer for anything, we'll be up here. Or you may just want to tap somebody on the shoulder next to you and ask them to pray with you or for you. But We'll be up here and uh, God bless you. Have a great day.